0: reevaluating, rebalancing, reassessing. Right now everyone's trying to find the proper perspective. At BNY Mellon Wealth, we look at wealth management from every angle. That's why our comprehensive active wealth approach includes five essential practices: investing, borrowing, spending, managing, and protecting. So we can strengthen your overall wealth plan while ensuring you protect and provide for the future you want. BNY Mellon Wealth, consider everything. Learn more at bnymellonwealth.com/activewealth. Welcome back to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham. Thank you for your feedback on Tubes. Um, I knew you'd love it. Well, because I loved it and you can't help but love him, can you? I mean, what a a grey bloke. He's kind of always been there, hasn't he, in the background. Growing up with him on TV, you kind of feel like he's one of your pals that you could... I shouldn't say go for a beer with because he is now teetotal. I just loved his honesty and his openness about his battle with alcoholism. You know, he's very brave actually to say the things he did. So thank you, Tubes. Um, you know, I know you love the word legend, but you are one, there is no doubt. Um, Okay, sticking with the theme theme of football, I'm going to introduce my next guest, who is Mr. Lee Dixon, fan's favourite for both Arsenal and England, part of, arguably, the best back four to have ever played in the Premier League. That's a bold statement, I know, but I'm sticking by it. Let me know if you disagree. Post-football, he turned his hand to punditry and to great effects. He is very good at talking about the beautiful game. Uh, Let's see if he is as good talking on the podcast. I think he finally is. He's the Thinking Man's footballer, Mr. Lee Dixon. Lee Dixon, how very lovely to be joined by you this morning um, here in Sunny Barnes. Uh, Do you know, I'm going to be honest. You are obviously a revered footballer, a, a hero to many, but. That's not why I wanted you to do the podcast. Look at my face. I've got a,
1: My face is all wrinkly because I don't know what you're going to say next.
0: No, I just think you're going to have good chat.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you're going to reveal something about myself I didn't know. <laughs> no,
0: no. Not an expose. Don't worry okay. about that. Thanks. No, but I've seen your pundit work and I've seen you at charity events and I just sense that you're going to have some good stories for me. You're going to have a good old natter. Mm. No pressure, but please make me laugh.
1: I'm very, very pressurized right now actually. <laughs> um yeah I I think I'm um I think I'm quite a uh, a chatty person. And obviously going, doing what I do on a regular basis as in, as in talking quite a lot although sometimes the adverts get in the way on ITV but that's another thing. Um I do love talking about football, I love talking about I love having a laugh. I think that's one of the things that um certainly Playing football and being in a dressing room—it's part of the whole process. You have to be able to join in. You have to be able to um, be a guy in the dressing room that has something that the other guys are interested in. You know, straight away, dressing rooms are really—they're difficult environments to 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 survive in, and you have to find a way of uh, fitting in. Right. When you first go into one, so. and you mean I mean in
0: terms of a pecking order of like knowing your place and where you fit into the whole scheme of things? Is that why they're hard?
1: They're hard because of that, but they're yeah. also hard to find your. You when you it's probably the same as going into any sort of work environment. You go in there. Say you go into a into school when you first go into school, you have mm-hmm. to kind of. You go in. You're not too sure how to behave. You kind of who's who's my mates? You're trying to find mates straight away. So, in a football dressing room, it's the same thing. You you kind of know these guys because you you see them. When I moved from Stoke to to Arsenal, I didn't know any of the Arsenal players as opposed to being mates or anything. But I, I knew them. You know, David O'Leary, Tony Adams, all these amazing Kenny Sanson, all these amazing superstars that I'd look from, you know, the the second division as it was then up at this. The golden chalice of the it's not the Premier League the First Division and go I can't play there they're, they're they're way above where I see myself as a as a player so and then all of a sudden you know literally on a Tuesday I go into training at Stoke and on the Wednesday I'm driving down to sign for Arsenal I mean how scary is that I'd, I'd only ever been to London once and that was to watch an England game with my mates when I was at college on a big bus got absolutely hammered with about 15 pints of lager on the way down and I'm not a drinker anyway um well I am a bit but I was not going to a say, big 15 drinker. pints is all right yeah. well done no I shared a few I tipped, <laughs> I tipped a few out the yeah. side of the coach but then going down to look, lot it was just you know going down to sign for Arsenal I mean I was 22 years of age and 23 I'd just turned 23 I was I'd got a six month old um my first child Josh you know, that's scary in itself.
0: young. That is young to be a dad. Yeah.
1: And well, I got my big move. I signed for Stoke when I was at, um, you know, I was at, I was at Berry, Stoke came in for me. I was like, that's it. Get married because that's what we do up north. You know, not a lot else to do. So we'd go and get married. And uh, so I got married. had a kid at six months. So that was a massive thing. I was playing for a big club then. And I thought I'd found my, my position, second division, Stoke, decent, mid-table. I thought. You
0: seriously didn't have bigger ambitions than that.
1: Well, I yeah, as a as a kid growing up, you want to play for England and you want to do all the big stuff, but you know, being a pro footballer for me was was the the ultimate. And then it was like then I got re- I got released after a year of being a pro footballer. I signed pro for for Bear, uh, Burnley when I was 18. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I was literally walking down the street. Nobody knew who I was. I lived in I still lived in Cheshire and I used to drive to to Burnley every day to to play, and I'd walk round Stile Village and Wimslow and stuff like that, and bumping into people, going, "Oh, huh, what do you do for a living?" and you know, hoping they'd say, "Weirdo, um, I'm a I'm a, a nurse or a whatever," and only so I, they could say, "You're going to ask me now? I'm a professional footballer." That was like two days oh. after a sign. I was so that was like my pinnacle. So, and then after a year. John Bond came in, manager of Burnley, new manager, and after two games said to me, "You'll never play for me again. You're not good enough." And I was like, "Hang on a minute!" But I, this this is what I do, and and he released me with no club. Um, Gone find a club. He was he wasn't particularly nice to me, and you know he's not with us. God bless his soul now. But he was not a particularly nice guy to deal with, and he just discarded me into the into the wasteland of have um, discarded footballers as if it was just a normal thing and I was devastated and I, I, I was how, do my, how am I going to get over this because um, I'm, I'm, I haven't got a club now and the only cl- two clubs that came in for me was Crewe Alexander and Chester City and Crewe were mid-table 4th division as it was then, League 2 as it is now and Chester were... Bottom of the nine, they were ninety-second in the league. They were at the bottom of the fourth division, and I was like, "What? That's nearly not a footballer anymore." <laughs> what do I do if I go to ninety-three? What happens then? So anyway, in the end, John McGrath, bless him, who was manager of Chester, signed me as um, as their right back in, in, in position ninety-two, and I, I was in the fourth division all of a sudden. And then, then it was a process of trying to. Be the best i could and, and then the following year I was only there a year following year, Barry came in for me within the third division, It's was like oh, going up, but I had a ceiling, the ceiling was i can't play in the first division that's big men that's big boy stuff so when and then I went to um Burnley, then I went to Stoke, and I thought that's it, Wow, and Stoke were decent sides, you know they were Mick Mills was a manager who was one of my heroes because he was a full-back and played a million times for England and educated me on how to defend a little bit. was still a bit bomb forward, didn't really do a lot of defending, but I, I learnt a lot under Mick Mills. And then, next minute, 18 months later, as I said, Arsenal came in. I was like, Mick Mills, he called me in the office and he says, we've had a call. And I was like, OK. You know, I thought, because there was a few rumours around that somebody was going to... Come in for me. I was playing pretty well at Stoke. Um, one Player of the Year as a full-back, I was scoring goals from there as well. And uh, he goes, "Yeah, we've had a call. Um, you're going to," he said. Brace yourself. And I thought he was going to say something like Coventry or something. No disrespect to Coventry, but it wasn't. And he said, "We've accepted a, a, a bid from Arsenal." And I li- literally, the blood drained from my head, went all the way down to my feet. And I started shaking, and I was so terrified. I was—I literally wanted to say to him, "I, I don't want to go." But I, I thought, "Oh my God! Oh, I can't play for Arsenal. Ridiculous!" And the and skip fifteen years, and I guess this was my driver as a player. I played for Arsenal for fourteen and a half years in the end, but every single day—and this is not a lie—you might, you might not believe me. Every single day, I was expecting someone to. I'm leaning over and tapping Natalie on the shoulder. I know you can't see this, Going, <laughs> tapping on the shoulder and going, only kidding, you've got yeah. to go back to Bury or Burnley now, off you go. And it was like one of them, I was like, God, they picked me again, let's but just I, carry
0: on playing. You know, I, I find this really hard to believe because uh-huh. you seem like such a confident person, mm. a calm confidence about you, but, but clearly not. You, got, you obviously doubted your ability, maybe because of that rejection early doors, It yeah. stayed with you.
1: No, absolutely. I think that albeit it was devastating at the time. it was probably from a learning point of view about myself the best thing because I, I wanted to prove you know John Bond wrong. Mm. He went in and he disrupted a really lovely family club, Burnley threw all the old uh, threw all the the young players out, brought all these experienced older guys in Jerry Gow Tommy Hutchinson players, Kevin Reeves, and he kind of ruined the club and, and he, he's not been thanked since that, about that's
0: that. awful. I mean, one person can have that much yeah. of an impact. Oh, you,
1: you ask people the at grim Burnley. legacy. You yeah. ask people around Burnley what he did to the place. and uh, but, So I, I th- I'm probably fortunate to get out yeah, and, uh, and then give me that, right, I'm going to prove him wrong and prove him wrong and, and you know, uh, I'd like to think I, I did. We played him in the, he was manager of Shrewsbury, uh, a few years later, and we and Arsenal drew him in the FA Cup, yeah. and it was <clears throat> it was the best day of my life because I was walking up, coming off after the warm up down the tunnel, and he was walking the other way, and he just looked at me, and I stared at him in the eyes, and he kind of just walked past me and didn't say anything. I thought, Oh well, that'll do me. I'm, I think I've proved him wrong.
0: Well, I'm sure you have. I don't know what the
1: question was at the start of that.
0: Was me neither. It? Something about. Um, all the know. while, though, you're a City fan.
1: Yeah, well born in Manchester, my dad played for City in the 50s, he was a goalkeeper, played for the reserves, he never made the first team. Bert Troutman was was goalkeeper then, he was a legend and my dad was kind of understudy. So he he was a pro for three years, we were a City blue and blue family, went to the Kippacks every week, standing on the terracing and all of that lot. And, and the funny thing was, the one team that we hated more than Manchester United when we used to go watch games, was Arsenal. And so when I signed for Arsenal, all my mates who City fans went, can't sign for them. Remember, we hate them. And I was like, yeah, I know, but it's changed a bit now. And now I'm obsessed with the club. That I played for, and, and I always want them to beat yeah. City, which is my City fans' and mates, are not very happy about that. And,
0: but they must have supported you through your time at Arsenal. Did they switch allegiance? No, they didn't support sp- Arsenal. No, Did they didn't.
1: They didn't switch allegiance, and I always used to get a message before we played City, going, "Come on, because City weren't very good then, and we yeah, were yeah. pretty good. You know, go easy on us." And then they were out of the league for a while. You know, got relegated and, and stuff like that. But I've still, I still. I still support them um, a little bit but Arsenal and, you know, once you get into a club like that it's just such a, an amazing club to be part of and and I, I never forget and I've told this story a million times I'll tell it really quickly but it's on the 89 video and, and, and stuff like that but I turn don't,
0: don't say video you're really showing your say way. video yeah you said
1: video the Betamax no <laughs> <laughs> oh my god did I say video I can't believe it don't tell my kids Um whatever it is, yeah. DVD, no. Blu-ray, no. what was it? Oh
0: God, <laughs> it's just a film, okay? It's a film, yeah, it's a film. It's a film. It's a film. Brilliant film, it's by the way, br- we'll talk more about that later, but anyway, yes.
1: Um, and I, uh, what was I saying? So that's what you I said do, it right? was
0: a good story, but it was a short story, which I'm told by my husband is always the way. <laughs> good show. it's a short story, Pinky, keep it sweet. I can't even remember what I was saying now, Whatever. You, see, you, see, you said I've told it, a story a million times. I'll tell it again. Oh, I tell. Yes, yeah, I got it. Right, got it.
1: See, yeah, that's what happens yeah, at yeah. fifty-five. There you go. It comes back. <laughs> um, is that I turned oh, when I signed for Arsenal? I went down to um, the Watford Gap service station with Mick Mills, and all the way down there, Mick Mills was telling me, "You've made it now. This is Arsenal." You do, and and Stoke had offered. I was on three hundred and fifty pound a week at Stoke, and they'd offer me five hundred pound a week. to to sign a new contract so which was great but then Arsenal came in for me so I was kind of like what sort of money you know I didn't have an agent Mick Mills was driving down in the car driving me down and I said what sort of money I don't know what to say to him when I get there because George Graham was an imposing character without him knowing him just seeing him from a distance so I knew I was going to that
0: reputation Yeah Yeah.
1: I knew I was going to be in the lion's den a little bit Mm. and then I and he went, oh, you, you've made it. So that's for, um, and he just went, that's for a £1,000 a week. That's the kind of money your first division players will be on. So I went, OK. So I had that figure in my head. So we get to Watford Gap service station, get out of the car. George Graham is in his Dame Sovereign in the driver's seat. And my dad had a jag. So that familiar leather smell when you get in a car that makes me feel a little bit car carsick. Yeah, I opened the car door and got in the passenger seat and thought, Feel a bit <laughs> feel a bit sick. So and there he is in his Arsenal blazer, tie, immaculate white shirt, almost cutting his neck, it was so sharp the collar. And I look I just went, Oh God, I just wanna die. Please, please please be nice to me. And he just looked at me and he went, Wow, what an opportunity you've got now. I'm gonna build a team around young, hungry guys like you. Um Sold the club to me. Didn't have to because I was I was going to go whatever, and then um, he went great great to have you board, on board and starts to get out of the car and I went oh uh, excuse me um, Mr Graham uh, what what do we how do we do the contract thing I mean, you know what, what happens now and he went oh, oh. He sort it of went a bit weird want to talk about money and I went oh, got family at home yeah. six month old but and I knew the p- property prices down in London were a lot higher but yeah. I didn't know how high and I sold my in the end long story I sold long story I sold my house for 35,000 pounds in Stoke and bought the equivalent house in Hertfordshire same size and everything for 170,000 wow. so yeah. I was literally brassic I could my dad was paying me mortgage and everything when I first moved because it was the only place I could settle down was in near the training ground but George said to me right well what do you want then and I said um so, and I had this £1,000 in my head and yeah. I went, £1,000 a week? And he literally just went, are you kidding me? I've got internationals not on that money. I said, are you money orientated? Is that, is that what you're all about? I've got you, I've got you wrong. And I was like, no, and he got out of the car. He got out of the car and walked and that was it. Oh, my God. And Mick Mills come out and he came out. He goes, what the hell have you said to him? I said, I told him what you told me to ask for. Yeah. And he got out of the car and said, the deal's off. I started crying, in the, and he goes, get in the car. He said, He's got, that's it, it's done. So I got in the car, drove all the way back to Stoke, crying my eyes out, a 23-year-old man in the car crying. I got my wife and six-month-old baby back in Stoke, sort of oblivious to all this. I get back home, and she went, how did it go? I went, not great. Um, deal's off. So I, I was devastated. So I I then phoned Mick up that night, and I said, what do I do? He goes, Give him a ring, here's his number, call him up and say you'll come down to see him tomorrow on the train, try and resurrect it because he's, he's not having you. And I was like, phone him up. George went, come down, we'll have another chat. So I got the train down to London, cab to the to the front of Highbury, Marble Halls. Have you been in there? Have you not oh, yeah, Highbury, yeah, they, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, Marble Halls. But
0: this was, yeah, obviously ages ago, but...
1: Yeah, because I'm very old. Yeah. Walked up the Marble Steps, yeah, going yeah. Herbert Chapman's looking straight at me. I've got this ridiculous, horrible Marks and Spencer green and blue jumper. I'll never forget it. I think my daughter's still got it. And I looked at Herbert Chapman and I went, "I'm not leaving here until I sign." So I walked straight to his office, knocked on his, walked in, and I said, "I'll fa- I'll sign for 500 a week, whatever." And he went, "Oh," he said, "I thought that might work." He said, uh, "I will tell you what I'll do. I'll go halves with you, so I'll give you 750." And I went. I signed on the dotted line, and that was the, that was the start of my uh, relationship with George Graham, which was one of um, massive education uh, lessons every day. Hit you with a stick, make you really work for mm. you. But the 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 money side of things with him was always really difficult because he had the club at heart. In that respect, he was tight as anything way structure, so you couldn't get a penny out of him, you had to you had to win something or do something, which I think is the right way, yeah, yeah. it's gone on the flip side now and it's, oh, yeah. you know, they get too much too soon, but old school it was like, if you win something, come back, knock on my door, give you new contracts, and he would, but very small.
0: And so what you know, year was that? 88. It's not, it's not that long ago. No. I mean, was oh. that just me getting old? You 88. getting old. In The Pink is sponsored by Bose, who've been perfecting the art of sound so that you can listen in unrivaled comfort. The new Bose noise cancelling 700s take it to a whole other level. So you'll always hear exactly what you want, no matter where you are. Also be heard like never before with an unrivaled 4 microphone system, which isolates your voice whilst cancelling the noise around you. Pretty cool, huh? Always stay connected with Bose's first of its kind augmented reality function that will change the way you think about travel, exercise and learning and never be caught out because they have an excellent 20 hours of battery life. They come in black and silver so you can work them around your style, your little fashionistas and you can treat your ears with the Bose noise cancelling 700s. It's a sound experience like no other. Now, Back to the interview. How quickly did you bed in with that group of players? Because the defence, Arsenal at that time, was stuff of legends. Um, I remember chatting to some of my mates at work who were like, oh yeah, if Arsenal went 1-0 up then, that was it. You know, Because you're never going to get through that Uh, defence. How quickly did you surround yourself by these great names like Tony Adams, Martin Keown... Well, Winterburn, you obviously knew um, Steve Bald already yeah, because you yeah. you'd come down with him, hadn't
1: you? Yeah. Well, he he signed six months after me, but um, it was it was a very quick learning curve to actually bed into the way that Arsenal played at the time. And George was very strict. There was a there was a way of playing. It was completely alien to me because I was a fullback that showed. I was pretty quick, and as a fullback that showed a winger down the line. That's why I was being educated, and then all of a sudden, George, on the first day of training, it was at it was at the indoor training centre at Highbury, and we're, it was freezing cold because I signed in the in the February, so it was like cold outside. We couldn't train because the pitches were frozen. Go inside, and we do this like little session, and they kept shouting, they kept shouting into me, go, "In," in in his Scottish voice. I can I can I go to sleep sometimes at night. Having nightmares about him shouting at me, still to this day, because he was going in, in, and I was going in. What? What you say? Why are you saying that? So I said to Dave Rokecastle, bless him, who again is not with us, and I said to him, "What's he keep saying in for? What's that? I don't know what that means." And he went, "Oh, it's inside. You have to get, you have to show everybody inside, so you don't get beat down the outside." So me playing on the right, I could not let anyone go down the wing. I had to show him inside the middle of the pitch because that's how we played. It was where our strength was. Don't get beat on the, on the out, outside, show everybody inside. And I was like, and it was so alien to me to try and do that because it was just natural to go show him down the line. No, and he used to basically fine you if you got beat down the outside. He said, yeah. Right, I'm going to fine. Do not let people get crosses in, you show them inside, you show him inside, in, in. It was like, and then he whacked you with, metaphorically, whack you with a stick if you didn't do what he said. And that's like his way of coaching. Mm. But his coaching sessions on the pitch, was so intense, and and you had to pick it up quickly. It's a little bit like I'm married to a beautiful lady in my life now called Yolanda, who's who's a dancer, and she can relate to that. That picking up, it's like picking up steps. And I can't dance to save my life. But you know, a choreographer, here's your steps, and you have to learn it straight away. And if you don't, you're out. And it was it was basically. George Graham's choreography, was showing side, press the ball. There was triggers to go and press the ball. There was you had to learn them. It was a little bit like NFL playbook. This is what happens when the ball's there. You're there. You do. It's very regimented. And if you didn't learn it, you know. There was, you, you, fortunately, I, you know, unlike my dancing, I'm quite quick at learning patterns on, on a football pitch. And I guess that's why I then go on to do what I do now, which is talking about those patterns and trying to. Ex, trying to not, teach, I hate that word, like teach people. What yeah, but
0: I, it is, it is the type of teaching. But it's only,
1: it's only what I know, mm. so it's not gospel. And there's loads of different ways of doing it, but,
0: and it's your interpretation of it. Correct. But, yeah. yeah, but
1: but it's like my the, the ability to 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 show you or what I know that's in my head when I see a pattern. I go, I well, I would do this. Is what mm. I think you should do. Um, I had success doing it this way then if somebody understands that at home and a light bulb goes off and goes oh i get that now why mm. that player might have done that or something i guess that's what i learned under george it was it was understanding them that 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 pattern on the pitch so um
0: and and the discipline that he brought presumably correct. just like imposed oh yeah. you see you just, that that facial expression says it all because it's like you still remember that discipline even now yeah but it's it's, it's now ingrained in you because of it See, which, is, isn't, which is a good thing, you know. Like, yeah, and patterns. it is
1: ingrained, and i i miss I miss a little bit of that in my in my life now, and I, I mean that because I, I was with him two weeks ago at the Tottenham game, and we did a charity box. Fifteen people, you know, paid money to charity to to watch a game with me and George Graham, and I hosted it, and George was the you know the george with the jewel in the crown because i knew even at you know he's 70 odd even at now he's so passionate about the game and he's he he recognizes the game's moved on Mm. and he's a bit old school but the the game hasn't changed and it's about how many you put in one end and how many you keep out at the other that'll never change (laughs) And, and and until you do both reasonably well you won't win anything you can Man City are, are, are brilliant going forward Liverpool are brilliant but going forward but they still both know what to do without the ball and his big thing was get that balance right and he was a little bit more the defensive side make sure you don't give anything away and then nick one at the other end 1-0 to the Arsenal yeah. Arsene is the flip complete flip of that he's attacking great looking football brilliant uh, open freestyle gunplay type but he couldn't coach a back for as long as he's got two ears and a nose.
0: So, but how difficult was that then for you to adjust to that style of management?
1: The easiest thing ever because
0: he left you to your own devices. Yeah,
1: because when he, came, he he's a hugely intelligent man, mm-hmm. Arsene, and came in and went, "Why? He knew he knew us anyway." Yeah. Before he, he he said he always tells a story. He says, "I knew you lot, you know, because he's a football nutcase. He watches." Mm-hmm videos, he'd all watched videos of Arsenal for years and years. So when he came from Grandpa a, he knew all about us. Mm. He was a little he said to me, I'm a bit surprised that you're actually a better footballer than I thought. I thought you were just like you know Yeah, a load of grow bags at the back going like just winning the ball. I heard he actually said it.
0: you're better looking in the flesh as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean yeah. you you're testament to that. I can see you looking at me now going, No, he's wrong
0: <laughs> I tell you what though, growing up I was bloody scared of the back four arsenal no. Keone and yeah. tony adams they well, were yeah.
1: scary aren't they whoa, whoa. yeah to winterburn as well not, yeah. a, not a looker Lovely. No.
0: <laughs> but so. do you know what actually watching the film before i watched 89 mm-hmm. um i thought i don't remember i'm too young to remember any of this mm. and as i watched the film it's amazing how much comes back yeah so well, i don't know it must have been what how? 10 oh, thanks. Thanks 11 yeah. really <laughs> no 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 like... but seriously i do now having watched it yeah um, I it, it did stop. I was like, yeah, God, I remember that. I yeah. remember that moment. I remember those faces. I remember the buzz about them. I mean, the footage looks so old, doesn't yeah. it? Now, when you look back at it, well, we, and you see how far telly's come.
1: I think. I think the the beauty about '89 was the fact that that's what we do. We take everybody back to that time with the music, mm. with the you know the pictures of the politicians, the the way that the music ties in with yeah. everything and everybody the
0: fashion You, you know what it's
1: yeah. like, music gets everybody nostalgic. Yeah, you yeah. hear something, you go, Oh, I remember that and then all of a sudden the game's on and you and you can go back to where you were. Yeah. I just started
0: boarding school. Had I remember you? that, yeah, because I remember the music, yeah, yeah. Wow. All girls boarding school. Scary place.
1: Don't go there. Mm. Um but You're distracted now, aren't you? Yeah, I just got <laughs> bored in school. How yeah, terrible. I know. Well, how cruel is that for your parents?
0: Yeah, do you know what? It's funny. I mean, this is a different discussion because we've just been trying to work out where to send our kids to school. And it's a bloody hard decision. My mum and dad sent me there and I'm really close to my mum and dad. Yeah. But my mum and dad sent me there because my mum had been to the same school and she right. absolutely loved, loved it. it yeah. And there weren't any decent local schools where we lived. Yeah. And so she thought, well, she knew I loved sport. Um, and it was a really sporty school, and she sent me there. But God, I was so homesick. And even oh, man, now, yeah. I go, Mum, how could you do that? And she, yeah. she cries even now thinking about it. She goes, I thought I was doing the right thing for you guys. But... I, think,
1: I think I'm kind of right in the middle of, you know, doing the right thing for your kids, and so and hard, then at the end it? of it, or and and then I, f- I go back to, what's the point of having kids if you send them send away? Because you're missing all that. Fun and yeah. and, the, and also even how the,
0: how can you have an influence on them if yeah. you're not with
1: them? Yeah, you kind of you kind of giving you were, it to somebody. No, you're relying on a stranger. Yeah,
0: and there was a few weirdos at my board. <laughs> anyway, uh, look, we digress. Um, yeah. Back to Arsenal. Back to your education on the football pitch. Mm. Let's see what I did there. Nice little segue. Yeah, Um, but you you grew up at Arsenal, really, didn't you? Yeah, because you were kind of wet behind the ears. Mm. I know you were twenty three when you got there, which you know by today's standards is quite old. But you still um, you were still young. You know, you were still naive. Absolutely. I
1: mean. When I look back, and I have this argument, let's say discussion with my kids now and again, and about four or five years ago, my my son's thirty-one now. He's a strength and conditioning coach for the FA. Works with the lionesses That's and amazing. some of the yeah, he's brilliant. Never he he retired when he was ten from football because he just went don't want to play anymore because uh, don't really like football. And I just get put under a load of pressure because people come and watch and they go, "Are you Lee Dixon's son? Oh, oh you're not very good, are you?" or you know, well, you should be better than this. Why are you not playing right back? And why? Did, and he just went, I'm not playing anymore. So, um, which was really sad. And I, and I, at the time, I didn't want to push him. I didn't want to go, yeah. forget all that. You know, you've got the drag. Because it's unfair. And I don't think he was talented enough anyway to, to, to have the 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 strength to go through that. Mm. So I said, as long as you play sports and do all the sports, that's fine. You just got to play sports. Sports are really important mm-hmm. in my life, and I, and I believe it's the best thing for you. And he went, yeah. And he played all the sports, da, da, da. and then when he was at eighteen, he started playing at university again and loved football again. Fell in love mm-hmm. with it. Did a sports science uh, degree, and then got into the fitness side of of football and loves it. And he's massively passionate about his job, and he's really good at it. And he's educated me on the new style of, of fitness and all the and all the new stuff that's going on now which is great for me because I, when i go on tv you know i don't want to be the dinosaur that's always going oh in my day yeah, da, yeah, da. so yeah. i've got that because yeah. i lived really? it but i've also got the yeah in my day we did this but now they're doing that you yeah. know because i'm not in the dressing room so i've got the best i'm in his dressing room and listening to the what he Comes out of that, so I've How kind of How amazing for your son into, to
0: educate yeah. you. And, you, know, it's come oh, full I don't, circle.
1: I, I always say he's wrong, but <laughs> deep, deeply, I'm all yeah, But it's great it that he's in, yeah.
0: helping keep you relevant in that respect,
1: yeah, absolutely. And 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 he's you know, some of the stuff he's coming out with and talking about, I'm like, wow, god, I'd, I'd be so I'd have been so much better player if if I could have done that because yeah. there's loads of stuff that you know, to be fair, I I hit. Arsene Wenger at the perfect time, because I was 32 when he came. Yeah. And I was just sort of starting to go, oh, a bit niggly, yeah, my knees a bit, this is that. And he came in and, and revolutionised English football in the way that we ate, trained, stretched. And it was kind of like, wow. And, I, and he said, look, if you do this, you know, you'll play for... George, to be fair to him, said... I'll, I'll find a way of playing that makes my back, my back four play till they're all 35 and I play till I was 38 so there was a bit of George Graham in there and there was also a bit of Arsene coming in and, and giving me new techniques to keep my body going because the brain uh, when, when Arsene came we won the double in 98 I literally could play the game with my eyes closed. It was I, I'd got all that experience from George, mm-hmm. knew how to defend, I'd got my three mates alongside me who were almost unbeatable. Dave Seaman behind me, almost unbeatable unless the ball went over his head from from somebody. Me. Your
0: own goal against yeah, Coventry. Right,
1: yeah, Ronaldinho. Oh listen. Um, Naeem.
0: I tell you what, wow. that was a cracking goal. Thanks. It's just a shame it was into your own net. Yeah,
1: well, it, the anniversary was the other week, so you probably saw it on YouTube. <laughs> I, I always tell people, they always take the mickey out on Twitter, oh, yeah, I've seen your goal. I said, keep watching it, because I get a pound every time someone watches that video. <laughs> Obviously don't, but people go, really? So they think I get royalties for that goal, so I keep watching it, it's great. Um, yeah, so... The, so the, the, Arsene hit me at the perfect time, and, I, and I, a 98 double. The game was so easy; it was embarrassing. I was like, "All right, I know. I get the ball. Right? Okay. Got my mates alongside me. We're not going to concede any goals. And then when I look up and I've got the ball, and Arsene's going, "Just go and play. You know, oh. none of that restriction. Go and play. And I look up and I've got Patrick Vieira coming short in midfield, and then I've got Dennis Bergkamp waving at me, going, "Give it to my feet and then I've got Ray Parlour outside me running straight down the line, and then I've got the second striker, Wrighty might be there, or, or Thierry Henry might what be there. Team? Like like, team? You could have played right back. It was so easy. <laughs> and I, was, I, I played my best football at that moment, 98 yeah. to... Two, 2002 was double winning side as well, but Lauren had just started taking over, and I retired in 2002. I was 38, and I was tired. My knee was gone, and I was kind of... But from 98 to sort of 2000, those two years... The game was absolutely the easiest I've ever known it.
0: What a time to be alive! Do you know what? I think you've answered my next question because there must be, have been at some point a sense that not, I don't want to say professional jealousy, but a sense that God, if only you'd played in the modern era, you'd have earned so much more money, mm. and you'd be kicking back and you know living a life
1: and not doing but, podcasts. And not doing.
0: Oh, shut This is this is for the love of conversation. Absolutely, yeah. Um, But no, but seriously, there must be part of you that's like, I can't believe the sort of money these kids are on these days. But what you've just described, you can't put a price tag on that. I mean, that I can't think you would get that level of passion and love for the game from many people in 2019. just because it feels more inhibited now. It It feels it's just a different game, isn't it?
1: No, absolutely, and and I think. If I mean, I get asked this a lot, and people go, "Oh, bet you wish you play now because of the money," and I go, "Yeah, it'd be great." It'd be, and I will tell you a funny story in a second. Says, but the money side of things is, you can always look elsewhere and be envious, and and all the guys who played in seventies and will be looking at us going yeah. lucky because we. I had a lovely, lovely living out of playing football for Arsenal, but the 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 memory side of it far outweighs that now. I think it's flipped the other way. The money side of it outweighs the memories. Some some people, the guys who are winning stuff, will say differently. You know, the Liverpool and the and mm. the and Man City's and that, but they're still getting the money as well. Mm. But I would not swap one day to play now, not one single day, because I had the best of. I had a decent living, but I had the best. Of, we we were we were free. We could go down to the Bank of Friendship and uh, have a game of darts with the locals on a Tuesday after training. This is Tuesday club? Tuesday club. It might be a Wednesday as well. No, I'm joking. The Tuesday this club. this was
0: a boozy kind of boys club thing that you just would never be able to get away with these days.
1: Correct. And it's also been massively exaggerated over the years that we every Tuesday we went out and run riot around London and did this, that, that. Not the case. Once a month, maybe if that, once every five weeks, we'd... Go if we had a weekend uh, a week off we'd go for a, a game of darts with a few locals, a few pints of guinness, go down t g i Fridays in Covent Garden, have some ribs or whatever, and then some of the lads would go out and it's been well documented about who the ones that went out. Tony Adams, obviously in his book he tells stories about those. Those Tuesdays, but it wasn't. It was exaggerated, and but you could go. You could go out, team spirit. You could do that. You could also mix with the fans after the game. You know, be signing autographs mm. outside the ground, stuff like that. That that when you look back on it, I, I love those moments yeah. because I was that kid asking for the autograph. The, 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 there's no access to players anymore. You know, the the access that um, the access that they get now is from a distance, and it's on Twitter, mm. and it's and you know social media has its place but i mean if i was playing if i was playing now i wouldn't be on social social media at all because it's distracting it's mm. intrusive it's great tool to be to to use for lots of positives but from a player's point of view if i said i, th- I think there's too many negatives to it and I, and i would I, my concentration Need, needed to be certainly from my point of view because I wasn't the most skillful player in the world with my feet, but my head and how I, how I played the game was, and you read the game. I was yeah. yeah. So, but I had to work very hard at that mm-hmm. and I had to work very hard at my fitness and be, and so I, I don't want that distraction, you know. Well, I, I want to be concentrated.
0: What you say about social media because you don't ever get the level of intimacy that you would do um, directness with the, with the fans mm. and yet they've got access to you and mm. you're vulnerable to yeah. criticism, you're exposed to it but not in a kind of human way, no. you're not looking at someone in their eyes and no. talking about the game afterwards, no. you're just under attack and that must be it, yeah, it's potentially soul destroying for a lot of, yeah. a lot of fans, uh, a lot of players sorry. Yeah. Um, these days. Along with bows in the pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision and elegance. Their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges, which is a great fit for this podcast because most of the guests share that sentiment. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about the, the racist problem that we have at the moment. Yeah. Um, how... I mean from your perspective as a white player playing in a team with with other black players but also having um there've w- always been racist undertones like yeah. we can't deny that. No. Do you think it's worse or do you think a light's been shone on it now um, and so we feel it's worse because we're just talking about it more.
1: Yeah, I think you know the social media side of things highlights everything, the good stuff, the bad stuff. I don't know whether I I honestly don't know because I'm not playing now. Because on the pitch, you hear a lot of stuff. When I was playing, yeah. you do hear I say a lot of stuff. That's wrong. That's it'd be wrong of me to say that because I'm just. I'm, when you when you when you ask somebody to think backwards, they they get all the times they've heard stuff and they kind of cram it mm. all in one. But, oh yeah, there was loads of racism. There's lots of times in games where you wouldn't hear anything mm. but there was there was certainly a racist undertones we've seen all the footage we've seen you know all the stuff that John Barnes went through mm. uh, to name one um and so there's always been a racist undertone to society so mm. the fact that it's now is it any worse at football now I don't know because I think the social media just highlights everything. Everything's amplified and and you see everything, you hear everything. If it was like that back when I was playing, it might have been exactly the same. I don't know. Mm. It's certainly not got any better. So that means it's got worse in my book because there's no improvement in that respect.
0: I remember going to one of the last games at Highbury when Arsenal played Chelsea and we were with the Chelsea away fans at that point. I was with three other girls. One of them is black and... There was such an uncomfortable undercurrent mm. that we just left. Yeah. And it was really depressing. I think what happened was Thierry Henry scored and I think John Terry then equalised. Right. And um, there was massive racist abuse directed at Thierry Henry. And my friend Eleanor, who's black, said, I, I do want to be here. I'm a black woman. I do yeah. not want to be in this. Yeah. And we left. And I thought... How can we not watch the sport we love because of that? And that must have been well. How long ago would that have been? That would have.
1: Uh, when did they f-
0: stop playing at Highbury? Two
1: thousand and six. They went into the new stadium.
0: Right. So, yeah, that would have been that would have been about two thousand and five. So, yeah. God, that's just so depressing. So, uh, what I want to ask you then is, what advice do you give the the young? Crop of players that are exposed to it now. You know, obviously, we've been hearing about Raheem Sterling mm. against Bulgaria, and this sort of collective decision whether they leave the pitch or mass. Is that the answer?
1: Well, it depends how bad it gets, and and how bad is bad. You know, mm. anything to, is to, bad enough, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. But you, if you if you say that the first inc- incident in a game. As soon as something is said or heard or whatever, everybody walks off the pitch. I don't mm. think that's workable. I don't yeah, think but that's...
0: they've had they've had too many examples of this, haven't they? Haven't they just got to take a stand now?
1: Well, they, they, yeah, there has to be something. But is is and the the argument against that is well, you're giving in to the racists. It mm. should be a you know the thing is with fo- the thing is with football ground crowds is this is this is a bit it's a society problem because mm. if something happens in a crowd. There's hundreds of people know who the guys are mm. or girls or whoever it is who know who the racist comments are coming from. They know, but because they get into that mob mentality, there's a there's a there's a, a, a kind of protective thing around them that they go, well, it's all right, we're in a group." And I and I was at a game recently, and I and I won't I won't say who or where I was, but I was I was in a box and I was I was looking at the fans and it was I, don't, I' there was there was black guys in the crowd, and there was things being said um i couldn 't hear exactly what said, but it wasn't it wasn't that the racist undertone that that i, I was missing it was just the, I was looking at the people the the aggression and the mm. the faces of these people in the crowd it was, it was it made me feel sick mm. I was like what does football do to people to 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 make that okay mm. for that person to behave in that way? That's the bit, and whether it's and that's not that it could be two white guys, mm. you know, opposite sides. That tribal sort of that's mm. always been there in football, which makes it so exciting because you've got us against them in that, you know, one team against the other and wearing your colours. And I get all that, that but the the, and I've shouted at players and you know for passing the ball out and making mistakes and you can feel this sort of passion in yourself coming up but it's never led to to then wanting to fight or hurt somebody mm. because of the game that's going on that's the bit that and that if you that's society thing because mm. it just makes it a place that people with real issues in their life for whatever the reasons get an, get a, a place to 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 vent that mm. um and that's the bit we've got to try and work out it's, and I'm not necessarily saying it's a, it's a, it's a, a racist thing, but that's, then there's an element of that as well in it.
0: So uh, 22 caps for England, did you feel fulfilled? Yeah, did that feel fair, a fair amount of caps, or should you add more?
1: Um, one was good enough for me. I, was, I, had a, I had a settle for one.
0: Do you know what I'm feeling all the way through this podcast? Very, you had very low expectations for yourself. What's this I about?
1: Think, no, I don't know. Psychologists would to, have a field day I'm with f- this. I'm 55 and still trying to work it out. Um, not good. I, I I I always put it down to it being my driver. I don't know wh- where that's come from. I guess being, I don't know. I've been at Arsenal, and surrounded by s- such brilliant footballers, and maybe not. I tell the story about Tony Adams, the last game that we played together. Him turning round to me, and I ball got knocked over the top. I ran round the back. Tony was out of position, swept up, knocked it back to the keeper. And as I'm running back to the halfway line, he turned to me, and he and as I ran past him, he goes, and I'm starting to get goosebumps as as I say this. He said to me, "Do you know what, Dicko? You're one hell of a fullback." And I went, "Wow." That's the that that to me was better than a medal, because I, I looked at him as as um, my captain. He was my captain the whole of my career at Arsenal, and for him to turn round, it, it took him fifteen years to say it, mm-hmm. mind. And uh, but he eventually got there and said, "You're one hell of a fullback." And I went, "Wow!" And that was in that was two thousand and two in our last season playing together. We both retired the same year, and I just went. Wow, that's incredible that he said that to me, and it it fulfilled all the little gaps about my ability to keep playing at a club like that. And I was like, yeah. And I the, I didn't feel like that all the time, but there was definitely moments during my career when I went, oh, God, I don't know, seemed to be, I, keep getting picked, just keep getting picked every week. George Graham put the team sheet up, and it's like number two, Dixon. 14 years that happened. So I do give myself credit now, but I still remember that feeling of going, I've got to keep working. I can't can't let up. Because if I let up, someone's... And we signed three, four full-backs, right-backs over my career there. And I saw them all off. And I was kind of like, right, there's another one gone. And then all of a sudden... Oleg like come coming from you know from the Ukraine, and I was like, oh god, I'm just to, there's another one I've got. He's going to find me out. I'm going to. This is the time, and it just made me train harder, made me play harder, and and I and I was very thankful, as I said, to that you know top three inches in my head that enabled me to be in the right position most of the time. Mm. And I, and as a defender, and we'll see that we see it now in in the modern fullback, the modern defender, etc. The 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 lack of ability I don't know if that's the right what I had was an ability to be in the right place at the right time and George gave me that he taught me where to be and I'm not sure that's being coached as much now because the emphasis is on going forward creating exciting football which is brilliant to watch I love watching it but it also the England game the other night frustrated me against Kosovo because we conceded three goals mm. sloppy goals to, that Gareth won't be happy with the team won't be happy with the defenders won't be happy with but how much does it really hurt you know in the social media in the media this week it's been what great game you know 5-3 mm. I heard on, on TalkSport I'm going on about um, I'd rather them win 5-3 than than 2-0 or, or 1-0 and I'm like what are you, what are you talking about
0: but is that you as a defender saying yeah. that do you think
1: yeah, yeah. And, I, and I you know on, on ITV the other night I said they were talking about you know Raheem Sterling and going forward and creating this stuff and do you think this is going to... Sancho, is he going to be in the team? I don't know. I'm like, don't care. I really didn't care at that moment because I was all I was concentrating on was like, we've just conceded three goals against mm. Kosovo. And so that mentality that I got from George is still in me and when I watch football now and I look... At, and Gareth, listen, I played... I didn't play... I played against Gareth and I, and I worked with him on ITV. He's... A, he, he's everything that I want in an England manager, because I just think he's passionate and what he's done to the England team is just brilliant. He never opens his mouth without something hugely intelligent and thought-provoking comes out of it. It's just brilliant. I think he's I think he's an astonishing England manager. I really love listening to him. I love watching his teams. But he'll be frustrated by getting the balance right. The balance in the England team right now, for me, is not quite right. The midfield... The defense is a little bit tipped to this expansive, brilliant football we're playing with, and they can play that. You know, it's like when I was at Arsenal; we we could play that game and still be tight at the back. Mm. So you can still have that because yeah, you
0: don't have to have one without the other, do you? No, not... The, 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 the,
1: they're not mutually the...
0: exclusive.
1: No, the forward bit is ex- exceptional, mm. and the talent we've got there, and you can have that in a team. you But you have to have the link, and the link is the key. The defense on its own can't defend on its own, you have to add that link and the link is the midfield. So when people are having a go at the defence conceded three goals, they all came about from mistakes and sloppy play and the midfield area is that link between good attack and being able to keep the ball out of the net, which is half of the game.
0: Given how your brain works, as we've already discussed, and how you do actually like to teach, because you even use that word when you're being a pundit, Mm. why aren't you a coach? Why do not you go and become Uh, Gareth's defence coach for England? You might sort all this out.
1: I don't think he's got my number. Um, But would
0: you? I mean, in all seriousness, why haven't you gone into coaching? um, You've thought about it, haven't you? I have,
1: yeah. No... When I stopped playing, I was doing some TV work, and I, I, I'm—I have to tell you—and I don't know why this has come up right now. Maybe it's because you're a really good interviewer. I don't know, but you've—you've—you've you've, you've tapped into something. I can feel it inside now. Why I've, I didn't go into coaching, and I've never really—I've never really allowed myself to feel what it is, and it's—it taps into what I was talking about before about somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and go. Hmm. Right, your time, you've won the competition, you get your game, now you've got to leave the pitch because you're not good enough. It's tapping into that. It's like, even though I had an amazing career and won loads of stuff, and I felt as if I not understood my position as a, as a fullback, there was, there was definitely an element of fear in the next step of going into coaching and going, I've got to do my badges. I've got to go out there and expose myself again and and go, well, this is what I believe about coaching and then do the coaching badges. There was a fear about that and i and i and I've not really allowed myself to talk about that before until this this moment, so it's kind of like there's a definite fear attached to it, and I was doing t v and although t v is a hugely scary thing to do, as you know, and when that light goes on when you first start doing it. You don't want to be there. You want to be somewhere else, and it takes a while to get used to. And some people never get used to that, and that's why they they you're flit in and out of doing a being a pundit or a TV presenter, and then you never see them again. I've managed to find a way of 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 getting my point of view over without it the the fear of well, is people listening to this going he doesn't know what he's talking about because that that's always in me, I, I guess, and so that coaching side of things I was always. It's easy to do the TV, and I'm quite good at the TV, so I'll just do that. And I would love the TV. Don't get me wrong, but there's definitely a part of me now when I look at the coaches on on Saturday, and during the week, and I go, oh, I could do that. I could, and I do some mentoring for some young fullbacks, and I talk about stuff one on one, and do clips on videos, on on a laptop, and talk to talk. About their game, and I, I love that. I love sharing my fullback knowledge with a fullback, a young lit, a young kid. I, I really enjoy that bit, and and I do a little bit of stuff over in America with a friend of mine. runs a football team in Santa Barbara, and he gets me to go along. and And I love talking to the kids, and I, I really like. But I also like my out of football place, and I think if you're a coach, the fear of giving myself to the game again mm-hmm. and going. Twenty-four-seven, there we go. I've been out the game long enough and enjoy TV enough for it to satisfy. But every now and again, I do go. Oh, yeah, I could just, just can I just pop in one day a week? And I'd love to do that. Just pop into a a club and go. Right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to do fullbacks today, and I'm going to take six of your young lads and just do a, you know, tactics board and a, what are you thinking here and da da da. Do that and then leave, and i not have the pressure. I don't miss the pressure of. Performing, mm. and I think
0: there's no doubt a hell of a lot of pressure comes with coaching. But I think you'd be really good at it, I really do. Um, the way you communicate and the way you make me understand the game like your descriptions earlier, I can just see it. I can, you, you're just painting a picture for me with your words, which is, you know, obviously is important as a pundit as well. But it feels like, well, I, I, I'd say there's a lot of people out there that would argue that is more intimidating to go in front of the nation and do what you do. So I think you've conquered that, yeah. Um, Oh, but clearly I, it's a lack of self-belief as opposed to ambition because you've always been ambitious. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm I've, I've still working on why. Um, but having said that, then, then, I, then I now think where I am, sitting in a, a little cinema with you in West London... And thinking, what am I going to do this afternoon? I've got some free time or I'm going to do something or I'm going to go ride my bike with my mate who's over sitting over there looking at me going, should we go and ride our bike? Or going to go and play golf with my son. after so I've got free time. I'm mm. working Saturday, Sunday at two games for NBC. I'm ex- I can't tell you how excited about mm. going to Norwich I am on tomorrow. And then... Sunday I'm I'm at Watford Arsenal I'm I'm buzzing I feel as if I'm going to play. It's a good life. Yeah. yeah. I've got a great life and I and next week I'm, I'm I've got some PLP work to do and then that's one day and then I'm going to play golf then I'm going to ride my bike then I'm going to do some stuff for charity on the Thursday and then so if I was coaching I'm fully immersed and mm. totally and totally in football again and yeah.
0: And it's definitely addictive. You know, you look at Mourinho, yeah. who's like, can you imagine being married to him right now, pacing around, just yeah. desperate to get back to it? No. I mean, you, you, once, in once fact, you're that's in that's it, you're fully... Picture, you know.
1: I can't imagine me being married to Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, that, exactly right. You have to throw yourself in. And, uh, and every manager that I know, that uh, trusts me enough to talk to me about the game has said, "Have you ever thought about it?" And then every there one of them, go. every one of them, to a t, to a, to a man, has said, "Don't do it," because you it's have to, you have to be addicted to it. You have to you have to go into that addictive world of stress-related mm-hmm. enjoyment. W- why would you want to do that?
0: Well, you do see how much they age in the very short space of time. Feels mm-hmm. like me at the moment when I look back at those Facebook memories. They go, "This was you five years ago, before you had children." Okay, that's never five years ago. Fifteen, maybe. <laughs> Jesus, have I aged that much? Um, okay, let's just quick word on Gareth Southgate because you you're obviously a fan of his. Um, will England hang on to him? Do you think that a Premier League club will lure him away? Would a Premier League club be the right place for him? Because it feels to me that that England environment is 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 perfectly suited to him. I don't know him the way you do, yeah. but no, what do you I, think?
1: I, I when I was working with him on ITV, he it was just a, basically a coach slash manager waiting to happen. You know, it he, he, he was just a matter of time. He went to the under-21s and then he's progressed brilliantly to, to the first team. And whether club management will suit him, I don't know. I think he's ab- absolutely cut out to do what he's doing right now. I think he's, his communication skills have been, as well as his, the way he set the team up and talks about the team and what he did at the World Cup, all of that sort of stuff. But his communication skills with everybody is a massive... Um, asset he's got to be able to you can see how he talks to you know the the TV people and the and the um and the nation about political issues and stuff that he talks about and so when you're a player if, if you 've got skills like that and it, and then he comes into a dressing room I would just listen to him anyway because mm-hmm. I think well he's he said all those really sensible things over there so he must and he knows the game you know he's a really good player Gareth um very good Centre back, and and I think he knows the game. And to be, I would listen to him. You know, even though I, I think I know the game, I'll go. Well, I, I don't know it all. What You tell me something. I w- I'd want to play for him. Mm-hmm. And I always look at managers. and Go, would I want to play for him? What's he got? What's he got that can drive me to motivate me to fill in those big gaps that I've talked about about my self confidence on a pitch? And what 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 could he do that I that I would go? Yeah, I'll take that, and I'll and i it'll make me a better player. He's he's got all that in my book.
0: Mm. And he's actually a classic case of someone that's brilliantly reinvented himself as a player because I think that's got to be the hardest thing you do when you retire is to know where to go next. And yeah. it's taken him a while, hasn't it? Because yeah. his legacy would be missing a penalty, but now it's <laughs> you know he, well, he's he's changed the the course of of his destiny by by reinventing himself. Which yeah. I mean, how hard is that to do to to understand? Where you are meant to be ultimately with your life, Because you retire so young really yeah, you know, yeah, no, back no, to any other industry
1: yeah. well, it seemed when I retired i was thirty eight it seemed the right thing for me to do was to to go in to carry on doing the t v stuff I was doing because I was reasonably good at it. I could string a sentence together that made sense in my head, and people like friends of mine, like Adrian Childs, who I worked with, he was the, you know one of the best people I worked with because. He was a football fan, he mm. is a football fan, and he has big holes in his understanding of what's happening on the pitch. Um, but as a fan, he's got that passion. So when I used to work with him, Matt today, too, I'd say something to him and he'd, he'd kind of go, and I'd see his eyebrows go, I don't understand, don't understand doesn't compute. And then I'd go, I, I realise now that maybe what I've said isn't to so somebody at home looking like Adrian is at the telly going, don't understand. Mm. So. When I when a light bulb went off in his head, I knew that everybody at home or a lot of people at yeah, home had definitely. got had got it as well. Mm. So he was my, my litmus paper of mm. what I'm saying. So I would keep talking until the the, the 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 brow went smooth and the light bulb went off, and then I went, "Oh, right, I finished now." And so he was brilliant. He doesn't. I told him that, but he didn't realize it at the time. And he was like, "Right, I need to work with Adrian all the time cause, And obviously, then you work with different presenters and Mark Pugacci's a brilliant presenter, I love working with him because he's really passionate about football but he gives you a different question and a different way of talking to to, to him, because you're kind of talking to the presenter, although you're projecting back home mm. if you can talk to the presenter and project back home at the mm. same time then you, you're doing your bit, if you're just talking to, so that's why I sometimes working with Gary Lineker when I first did Match of the Day and stuff, he knows he knows the answer intimately mm. so i didn't always get from him i didn't always get any anything back from him cuz i was like he knows this he's kind of like so you end up maybe trying to talk to everybody is it just a different way of doing yeah, it yeah cuz you're
0: not putting it into layman's terms for him cuz he doesn't need you to and that's no, actually no. that and can potentially but, but, alienate your audience cuz they don't
1: it yeah, too I don't,
0: in what you're discussing
1: i don't necessarily like that layman's terms if because there's... Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people at home that that know more about football than I do. Yeah, but they Just haven't played I, to the level no, you have. Exactly. That's, yeah. So that's the difference. If yeah. you're explaining something, is only my point of view about mm. a situation. It's not going, you know, pundits who go out there and go, he that's wrong. He did that. You have to understand. And this is one thing I somebody told me. You know, give give somebody at home a bit of information that they, they couldn't possibly know. Now, if they've played football. They could know that, yeah. but if i 've given them the information, but then said from my point of view um, as a as a as a Premier League player in a dressing room, something happened or du that's sharing something that they couldn't possibly know mm. so that's that's gold dust to the mm. people at home um and so that you 've got to try and find a way of of doing that, but it 's not mm. dumbing it down, and that 's why working for n b c has been brilliant for me because. I talk about the game differently. And it's not dumbing it down because you, you're talking to an American audience, lots of expats who know the game and mm. watch a lot of football, but you're also explaining stuff in a different way. You know, and, and some of the some of the words that I might use wouldn't work in America. I have to change it because it's, I just presume they know what, um, oh, the wingers got, you know, the the fullbacks struggling, the wingers got anyone a piece of toast. And I might say that to somebody here and they go, and I, there was I no, don't know what you mean. No, no, you, you go, need to go to America, and then right. I can t- say it in a different way. But it means you know certain things. You'd explain it to them in a different mm. way, and it's it's mm. a brilliant. I'm, t- I'm talking to somebody who knows all about this because you, you, as a presenter and a and a and a broadcaster and a very good one at that, even though it's your podcast, I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you make people at ease, and you you find a way of pulling information out of people in a in a very special way, and and that's. That's your talent. Um, that and then, makes
0: me sound manipulative, though. Don't no, no, that. it's
1: not. No, because you you, you come a, you talk to somebody else, another footballer, another racing driver, or whatever it is, and understand that you can't just ask that question mm. because you know the guy and you you're in, intimately involved in his career, and you go can't ask, and I don't know motor racing enough to. to Suggest the characters, but you can't ask so and so a certain question the same you would ask, mm. and you want the same information, mm. so it's not manipulative, it's brilliant broadcasting. Right. So, well done, you. Thank you very much. But I do well, have to pick you up on something. Oh, go
0: on, yeah, go yeah, on. This has
1: been bothering me for a while. I, I don't know. want to end the podcast without mentioning it.
0: Oh, shit, what's he gonna say?
1: <laughs> so, it's we talked about feet before because we had a photograph taken and, and size of feet. I'm not mentioning the size of feet because yeah. that's fine. You've got yeah. lovely feet, they're size 6, whatever. But you, I don't know if you've done it on purpose, yeah. but your laces are really bothering me. Because <laughs> you've laced one up crisscross <laughs> and the other ones overlap.
0: Oh my God, I didn't even notice and that. that's
1: really bothering me.
0: Oh my God. You got some sort of OCD thing. You know, I was on.
1: talking. We we're talking about your son going to school. He's four years of age.
0: Yeah,
1: but I have as well. You, and you were going to, on about your son before, yeah. And and he was going to his school, and you'd done his tie up. And yeah, I tried I to know, zoom in on I his know, tie because you've not done a bad job. I've got a thing about ties as well. Yeah. They have to go up to the top button. Yeah. You can't see any of the top of the collar, and it has to be a certain <laughs> type of tie knot. And also laces. If you do your laces up.
0: Right, can I just say something in my defence? These are the no. these are my Adidas Stan Smiths, and they came like this. I just took them out of the box and put them on. I haven't noticed. Oh, shaking sort of your head. What excuse is that? All right, so I've got to change it. So which one should I do then, crisscross or... Don't
1: over? care, just as long as they're it's the, the same. same. When they came out of the box, did you go, no, the laces are different? No, didn't notice. Or did you go, I've got... Two kids on the age of yeah. four. Um, my yeah. m- life's a mess. Yeah, that-
0: no, not a mess, <laughs> but yeah, too busy to notice laces. Yeah, I tell you what it is interesting about the um about the tie thing because. He's four. Why are they making him wear a tie, a proper tie? Absolutely. Every wear a morning tie. I'm trying to do this bloody tie. Remember. He goes, Mum, you're cover up, mummy. And I'm going like sweating it's in the about, morning. This is like seven AM. This is too much.
1: It's about discipline. It's right. about understanding. Oh, it's about who you are. George and Graham who coming you represent. out and you again. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And wearing a tie at four years of age does not do him any harm whatsoever unless you do it up like you did it. <laughs> Get one of those on a piece of elastic and then it'll be the same every day.
0: That's what I'm hoping. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to talk to you. Could go on and on. Yeah. I think we have actually gone on and on quite a lot. Edit. I certainly didn't need to make any notes or create any questions for Lee Dixon because that was always going to be just a lovely, free-flowing chat. He's so easy to talk to. So thank you, Lee. And um, I found it really moving, actually, that he wanted to... still does be a coach because he's got such a good footballing brain but obviously that comes across really well as a pundit so long may that continue um thank you lee for your time and your conversation Um, okay let us have your feedback on this podcast and all the other ones in the series so far and who you'd like me to talk to next we've got a few cool ones coming up so stay tuned for those and stay tuned to find out how you could win some of those very snazzy bose 700 headphones the noise cancelling type just don't cancel the noise of the pink okay keep listening rate review subscribe thank you for your company this is a cast recommends every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're gonna love
1: is facebook really evil how do you secure your video conferences and can you protect your privacy and still help fight the virus listen to dtns and find out we know keeping up with the latest in tech news isn't easy especially now that's why we do the daily tech news show i'm tom Merritt, along with my co-host sarah lane producer roger chang and our regular contributors we deliver insightful informed analysis of what's happening in technology and how it fits into this fast changing world just 30 minutes a day with dtns helps you understand and make sense of it all.
0: ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.